A significant life exists to help you find and strengthen your God-given significance. Over the last year, we've served nearly 3 million of you through Pray.com as you streamed our weekly television and radio broadcasts, as well as other on-demand media. We've spread God's message of hope with over 40,000 via our weekly podcast. And this year, we're spreading the message of God-given purpose even further as we air a significant life on two new stations, Cornerstone TV and Vision TV. If you've been impacted by a significant life, now is your chance to pay it forward. Give the gift of significance today by visiting asignificantlife.com. Thank you so much for joining us. For those a part of our Pray TV family, you know our heart's passionate about unveiling from Scripture the hidden stepping stones that equip us to walk into the significant life God planned for us. We love helping people see what's keeping them from being a person who lives in the longings of their heart. And today I want to welcome our Cornerstone TV family and our Vision TV family too as we learn God's path into our potential. And we'll see sadly why so many miss it and we'll learn we don't have to be held back from the hopes of our heart anymore. Most of us can remember the day that we left our parents' house, right? If you were like me, it was kind of exciting because you dreamed about stepping out into some new things, but it was also just a bit intimidating because you realized pretty quick that I'm not aware of some things that I need to be aware of to succeed. And I've told you this before, but the first time I ever did my wash, I turned everything that was in the wash machine pink. And it was pretty embarrassing. I had to go buy new socks and buy new t-shirts. I didn't buy new underwear because I was cheap and I didn't have a lot of money. So I wore pink underwear for about a year. And for all of us, there's something we can think about where we think, man, it was intimidating to take that first step. It was exciting, but it was also something difficult and something that I needed help with. And this morning, we're going to let God's word speak to us about walking the path into the potential that God sees that we have. It's part of our series on winning the battle of becoming, and our master text is in Matthew 4, 18, where Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, uh, Simon, who was called Peter, and also Andrew, and it says they were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And the Bible says that Jesus said to them, come follow me, and if you do, then I'm going to send you out to fish for people. So I want us to notice that Jesus said, I, want, I need you to come follow me well first, and then if you follow me well, I'm going to send you, and I'm going to cause you to do some things that maybe a lot of people don't even think that you're capable of doing as a person. The reality is that God calls us to follow him, and we'll see not even just him, but other people in life well, because it, we have to become skilled before we become successful. And how we follow determines how, how well we become skilled so that God can bring forth that success in our lives. I'll never forget in the early 1980s, my brother was the strength and speed 
uh, coach at the University of Tulane. And because I wanted to spend the summers with him, I ended up working when I was in college for the sheriff in uh, New Orleans. I played on the sheriff's softball team in the summer as well. And then during my free time, I would usually be at my brother's house or I would go by the weight room and I would lift weights with the Tulane football players and hang out with my brother. Well, about four or five times that summer, this man came into the weight room that I recognized because I am a big NFL fan, and in the 1970s, he was on TV a lot. He quarterbacked the New Orleans Saints, and his name was Archie Manning. And behind Archie Manning, who had come to work with the quarterbacks at Tulane, were these three little boys. One was about eight, and maybe the other was maybe five or four and then the other one was just able to kind of waddle along behind his dad and man if I would have been smart I would have bought a football and I would have had those little boys sign that football because it would have made me some money right because those three little boys two of them became hall of fame NFL quarterbacks of course Peyton and also Eli Manning but here's the point if they were here today they would tell you that there were people along their careers who were much more physically gifted than they probably considered themselves to be. But but even back then, I could feel that that father had a special relationship with his sons and that he was very focused on his sons. And, And what happened is that father passed down skill that brought success into the lives of those sons. And that's what God wants to do for us as his dearly loved sons and daughters. And this morning, I want to talk about how is it that we start to walk into our full potential as a person? Well, I think there's two things. Number one, we have to understand those things that rob us of reaching our potential. And we can see these things really well in the life of Abraham. If you've been in church for a while, you know that Abraham is not just the father of the Jewish faith, but we're also to treat Abraham as as our father as a Christian. And the reason God wants us to treat him as our father is because uh, when Abraham had God began to deal with him, the world was in a place of confusion. The Tower of Babel had just been built. And God spoke to him and he said, if you'll let me begin to deal with you in those areas, you're confused about life, I promise you that I'm going to start blessing you in those areas where things haven't worked out and where you've been confused. And God's promised us that if we will give him the same faith that Abraham gave God, God will give us the same blessing that he gave to Abraham. So let's look at how God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's house, and go to the land I'll show you, and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. And I'll bless people who bless you, and and people who curse you and come again you. I'll take care of that. And all the people on the earth are going to be blessed because of what you learn about walking with me. Now, you notice that the Bible says the Lord had said to Abram. So sometimes there are things in our life that have been sins that so easily beset us. Things that, man, we wish we'd been doing better for a long, long time. That's not unusual. It's usual to have areas where maybe we haven't obeyed God as quickly as we wish 
wish that we had obeyed God. But, but God so uh, wisely pointed out to Abram the three sources of our struggle. Number one, he said, you're going to have to leave your country. You're going to have to quit doing things the way the world does things who don't know me because I can't bless you if you keep doing the same things that people are doing who aren't living in my blessing. Paul talked about it in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says all of us lived among them, speaking about uh, evil spirits that get people to do sinful things. And he said, here's how they, they kept us here. They gratified the cravings of our flesh and we followed their desires and thoughts. And then like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So in other words, the way sin holds us in its curse is it satisfies us, but we don't realize that it's stealing from us so much more than, than it's satisfying us. And, and Paul said, before God can bless a person, and we have to understand that there's two forces that are at work in the world. One is sensual gratification that makes me feel good about things. Tamara made me some great queso for a white girl before we started this fast. And I want you to know I enjoyed that queso. But how many of you know if I ate that queso too much, I would become El Gordo? Can somebody say amen? And so we have to be careful that we don't just follow gratifications in our life. What's the other choice? It's godliness. And I'm going to preach a series later this year. It's going to be titled Character, Cost, and Compromise. Uh, a Character Counts and Compromise Costs. And I'm going to do it because I, I've been so moved by some things that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. He became a prominent voice in Germany during the days of Adolf Hitler. And he could see that sin was rotting the heart of of their country and families were broken and institutions were struggling because of how people were living in sin. And Bonhoeffer began to talk about how the real root was something called cheap grace, that there were people who were coming to church, they were even being baptized, but they weren't becoming more godly as people. And that's what God was talking to Abraham about. He, he was saying, if you want me to bless you, I promised that I would bless people who are godly. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but the more godly you get in an area of your life, the better that part of our life's going to go, Right? Then there's a second thing he talked to him about, and that's peer pressure. He said, I want you to leave your country. And then God said, and I want you to leave your people. And, and basically, for all of us, we like being liked, don't we? And because we like being liked, what happens is we start liking things that people like because we want to be liked by the people who like those things. For instance, somebody asked me the other day, Pastor Jim, are you a big fan of the Texas sports? teams? And I answered, absolutely, I'm a fan of the Texas sports teams. In fact, when I watch games now and I see a Texas team begin to lose, my heart gets so unhappy when that happens. And do you know why? Because I know how much some of you like those things. And because you like them and because I like you, I end up liking the things that you like. Now, this was working against me whenever I was 
was a young man because I wasn't raised in a Bible-believing home. And so that meant that I would drink alcohol with my uncles because it wasn't that I liked the alcohol. It tasted horrible. But I did it because I liked being liked by my uncles. Can you say amen? Or my brother was a college football player. And here's a story I haven't told you, though I've been some of y'all's pastor for 35 years. One night I went up on a Friday night before the football game and they were drinking and one of the guys challenged me that he could out drink me so I was not going to say no to a challenge and you know what happened to me that night I passed out my face got in a pizza and when I woke up I had pizza all over my face now did I really want to do that absolutely not but I ended up doing that because I want to be liked and I think we can all see we live in a world that if we don't stand up to culture and if we don't stand up to peer pressure, then God's blessing and his potential is going to be robbed in our life. Anytime truth is compromised, love is going to be corrupted. And if you look throughout history, what happens in societies, especially Western societies where God's love reigns, is if, if there's a revival, then people are loving their wives and their husbands and children are honoring their, their parents. And, and, and basically, families are really, really strong. And in the Welch revival that transformed those people. In fact, about the, the prison population was cut over half because of a revival that happened through an entire region of the country. And, and during that revival, secular people wrote this in newspapers that the plow horses got confused because they were so used to their masters cussing at them. And when they got saved and they quit cussing at them, the horses were looking like, who are we supposed to listen to now, right? And listen, whenever God really begins to work, if it doesn't change us, it's not going to change our life. Can somebody say amen? So God said to Abraham, you've got to go from living the way that people live who don't know God. You have to go sometimes from peers who are in your life. And then here's the third thing that I'm centering this message on is we have to go from our father's failings. He said, Abraham, I need you to leave your father's household and it's interesting that when Jesus called people he would say to them come follow me he didn't say like I want you to sit through a one-year seminar and then I'll see if you want to follow me but he was pretty forceful about it and Tamara's reading a a Jewish Bible this year because she wants to read the scripture through the lens of 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 Jewish culture and she said that one of the comments the comments made was that when Jesus said, come follow me in Matthew chapter 4, it was a forceful tense. And they referenced the fact that it was the same tense that God used with Abraham when he said, I need you to go from this stuff if I'm going to bless you the way that I'm dreaming about blessing your life. And one of the things we have to overcome is the failings of our fathers. And the truth is nobody is a perfect father. Most of us who are fathers here today have fallen into one of two traps. We've exasperated our kids at, from time to time. 
And, and we exasperate because we want things to go so well for them, but we're more in touch with their problems than we are their potential. We're dealing with fear in our own hearts, and we end up getting hard on our kids, right? The other thing that fathers where we err is we're too permissive. And if you were raised by permissive parents when you get older, you're going to wish that somebody really showed you what you need to do to have success in your life. And so we battle that. I'll never forget when Michael was about seven years old, he was playing soccer. And there was a dad who really wanted to be a good dad. I could tell he wanted to be a good dad. He, he was an attorney in our town. And he would literally get on the sideline and he would, you know, encourage his son, coach his son, be hard on his son sometimes, but he was trying to help his son play good soccer. Well, there's only one problem and that is that son likes soccer about as much as I would like running a marathon today, right? And so you could tell the son just wasn't into it. And during the game, this ice cream truck came down the road with that alluring tune that it plays whenever it's going down the street. And I kid you not, his son ran up the hill to the ice cream truck in the middle of the game. And, of course, we're all trying not to laugh because we didn't want to make him feel bad about his son. And also because I think we've all been there, that the best a father can do is not exasperate, not be permissive, but begin to empower their kids and let them see, listen, your dad's not perfect, but you can see that God's doing something in my life. And I want to help you learn how to, to let God bring forth the potential that God can bring forth in your life. But we have to deal with these potential robbers and we have to stand up to them. And then the next thing we have to do is we have to embrace what empowers potential. And I wanna close by giving you two examples or illustrations and scriptures that help us do that. Then I'll give you a scripture that'll help us apply this message practically this morning. The first story is the story of Abraham. And most of us know it in Genesis 22, God's spoke to him. He said, I want you to offer your son Isaac on the altar. And this was hard for Abraham because he knew that God didn't believe in child sacrifice, but the Bible says he got up in the morning and he obeyed God early in the morning. And then it says that when he was offering Isaac twice, an angel spoke to Abraham. And the first time he said, Abraham, don't kill your son. I got a ram over here in the thicket. And I think that speaks to how exasperation can kill the call of God in our children's heart. Listen, whenever his son was being put on the altar, it wasn't to kill him. It was just to teach him how to put God first in spite of his perfections. How many of you are glad this morning God doesn't kill us because we're weak? God sent Jesus because we're weak. Because he was saying, this is how bad I care about blessing your life, right? But then the second time the angel spoke to Abram, it, it wasn't about, hey, don't be so hard on your son. I've got a sacrifice. He said this. He said, Abraham, now because you haven't withheld from your son, is what most translations say that do a literal word for word translation. And the word withheld means you haven't held back. You haven't kept him in the dark. But you've mentored your son in the things that are going to make him successful. Because of that, Abram, I'm going to multiply my blessing that's on your life, it's going to be multiplied in his life. And I'm going to read it to you from the Message Bible this morning. It says, the angel spoke from heaven. 
a second time to Abraham. And he said, I swear, God's sure word, that because you've gone through with this and haven't refused to give me your son, your dear, dear son, I'll bless you. And oh, how I'll bless you. I'll make sure that your children flourish like stars in the sky, like sand in the beaches. And there's another great story. This is a story of Elijah who many people consider the greatest prophet in the history of Israel. Those who don't often say Elisha, who is the one he trained, is the greatest prophet. I personally say Elijah is the greatest prophet. You say, why, Pastor? Because I think Michael Jordan's a better basketball player than LeBron James. I always root for the old guys, y'all. And the reason I root for the old guys is because the young guys wouldn't be as good as they are if the old guys hadn't shown them what they showed them. Somebody give me a good amen this morning morning all right but but listen here's what happened is Elijah was coming to the end of his life and he realized the blessing wasn't just going to live on so he saw somebody that he was drawn to that he was going to mentor his name was Elisha and in Elisha we see how to be mentored well the first of all listen to what Elisha said to Elijah before he went to heaven in 2nd Kings 2 9 it says that Elijah looked to Elisha and he said, tell me what I can do before I'm taken from you or before I die. And this is what Elisha replied. He said, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And that shows me that to be mentored well, we have to be humble. We have to learn that if we're going to receive from God, we usually have to receive from people around us well first before we receive from God. And the truth is, if you can't receive from godly people, chances are you can't receive from God well either. But you know what blesses me about that? Is whenever Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. What he was saying is, I want to walk with God like you walked, but you know what? I believe God's going to do even more in the days ahead. I believe God's going to do double what he did because if I can start where you stopped and if I can do that early in life, just think how good things can go if I do that. Can you say amen? And then the Bible says that whenever Elijah was taken up to heaven, that Elisha said this to him in verse 12, he saw it. He saw Elijah going to heaven, and he said, my father, my father. In other words, we can see humility in the life of Elisha, that he said, I have to learn. Thank you. I, I, just, I just want to have in me what's in you. But we, and we can see honor. He treated him like he was a father, and that's the reason that he did twice as much. So let me encourage you this morning. If, if it's your marriage, if it's your health, if it's your business career, listen, humility and honor will take you places that haughtiness and effort could never take you. Just know this, that all the passion and all the inspiration in the world won't take you as far as a hunger for maturity takes you in life. And that's why Paul related to people the way that he related to them. I want to read the scripture in closing. It's in, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.11. And listen to what Paul said. He said, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father. Everybody say a father. As a father deals with his own children, we encouraged you. We comforted you. And we urged you to live lives worthy of God who's calling you into his kingdom and glory. So you notice Paul didn't just share information. These, he didn't just treat people like, you know, 
I need to get you in teaching sessions, which is why I encourage you guys to get in small groups. And I encourage you to, to do life together because it's not all about information that causes us to succeed. We have to have a spirit of encouragement on the inside of us. And, and encouragement is not just about willpower. If it's just about willpower, you'll probably give up at some point. But encouragement's about way power, that whenever you learn the way to do something, encouragement is natural because when your mentor trains you or you read a book about something, inside your heart should say, man, I know this part of my life can change now. But then we don't just need encouraged, we need comforted, right? Because it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time, and we need people who keep us strong. And then finally, sometimes we need urged. Everybody, everybody say urged. We need people to tell us, go for it, keep, keep going for it. In fact, I'll tell you this morning, you wouldn't be sitting in this building this morning probably if it wasn't for some spiritual fathers in my life. First of all, when the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to build this building out of what I made the world out of nothing but faith, we had zero in the bank account, and I remember God speaking to me, and I thought, well, surely Dr. Solis and Doc Harden will try to talk me out of this. So I went to them, and I said, this is what I sense God's doing. And they prayed about it, and they said, that's what we sense God's doing too. Let's go for it. And then we started building, and, or we started drawing up the plans. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call a guy named John Vaughn who had a database of all the churches running over 2,000 in smaller cities. And I said, John, can you give me your database? I want to call churches in smaller places so I can learn from them. So I called the first one. And I said, tell me, you know, you guys have a lot of people in your town. Tell me what happened. They said, well, the pastor wanted to build a new building, and so we tried to build a new building, but the church split, and the pastor's gone, and we don't have all those people anymore. I thought, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to call the second person. <laughs> so I called the second person. I said, How, how'd it go? He said, well, he said, you know what? We tried to build a new building, and, and the church split, and the pastor's gone, so we're not as big as we used to be. And I started praying, and I said, Lord, I just want to be humble. I don't need to try to do anything big or great like that. And so then I started trying to talk all my spiritual fathers out of building this building. And uh, finally, I called Tamara's dad, who was my chief mentor. And I, I, I talked to him. I said, Daddy, I said, listen, I feel like I'm supposed to build this building because God's talked to me. And, but three banks in town told me we'll never fill it up. How many of you are glad God didn't only fill it up? We're in, we're in two services on a Sunday morning, right? And, and, and I said, the bankers don't want to give me the money. And I called John Vaughn and I, you know, I found this is what happened in other people in small towns. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Jim, you listen to me. See, he was encouraging me. He was comforting me. He'd getting ready to urge me. He said, listen to me, bankers don't tell pastors how big to build churches. The Holy Spirit tells pastors how big to build churches. Listen to me this morning. The enemy doesn't have the right to tell you what God can do in your life. The Holy Spirit has the right to tell you what God can do in your life. Amen? 
I'm really grateful for how God's Word helps us see what causes God to raise up some people into their hopes while other people just live disappointed. And I'm so glad it helps us see what's hindering us. First, those cultural norms that people pressure us to embrace, even though God's Word clearly says those aren't going to lead to our best. I'm grateful, too, that God teaches us how to handle peer pressure or family pressure that can cause us to miss out on His best. And I hope today's message created a hunger in your heart to follow Him, because God doesn't want us to miss those great blessings He promised to bring to pass in our life. He wants to bring them to pass if we'll just trust His love and treasure His leadership in our life. We're so grateful, too, that God has expanded the reach of this teaching ministry, so now multiplied thousands are growing and they're stepping into those things that God's dreaming about. And you can do that too by signing up for our free weekly Step Into Significance email that will encourage you and equip you on a regular basis for the unique journey God has for your life. Simply go to a significantlife.com and our financial partners, thank you, thank you for helping us help people who are hungry to walk in God's best and for helping us reach those overlooked communities in America and around the world without thriving churches. Be a part of our online community. When you subscribe to A Significant Life on YouTube, you'll be able to catch up on past messages as well as watch extra content from the entire team. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit us on our website, asignificantlife.com, where you can listen to our latest podcasts, sign up for our weekly Step Into Significance devotionals. Join us today at asignificantlife.com.